0: Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. <music> Buena mi gente. What is good? This is Machete Mate back with the Current Events episode this week. Um, quick shout out to our new Compos Oficiales. So those of you who became Compos Oficiales since our last Current Events episode, Don, Molly, Dylan, and Matt Kay. Now, we actually had Matt on the show earlier this week to talk about his experience and perspective as an official observer with the Progressive International of the first round of Ecuador's election. Um, we also had um, Jacobin America Latina's Dennis Rogajuk, to give his own experience and perspective on the ground and really good context of the lead-up to the election. Very fascinating conversations, and we had a lot of fun, albeit with some creative logistical workarounds we had to um, <laughs> implement, because it wouldn't be much out there without these things, right? Um, but definitely check it out if you haven't already, especially since we're going to be discussing our conversations here today. Um, by the way, Matt, if you're listening, New Caledonia... Just on the road from me, just elected their first pro-independence government since 1999. And one most likely elected first pro-independence president since 1982, who was actually eventually assassinated. And next Whoa. year, November, they're slated to have a third independence referendum. So if the PI needs observers, holla at your boy, because <laughs> I'm done. I'll make the three-hour trip to um, New Caledonia because, you know, fuck the French. Anyway, I'm Leroy. Come to you from Nam in so-called Australia. And of course, the homies, T.
1: How's it going, y'all?
0: And the homie Austin.
1: What's up, buddy? Happy to be here.
0: Always. And again, just quick web check. How are we doing, fellas? How are we feeling? What's new? What's going on?
2: Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm actually getting ready to move pretty soon in the next couple of weeks. So that is, you know, exciting, stressful, you know, times ten now because of the plague. But uh I'm, you know, kind of wrapped up in that right now, but I'm good overall. What about you, bro?
1: Yeah, I'd say I'm good as well. You know, thing life in general, I suppose, for all of us continues to be incredibly busy. Right. Especially with everything that is going on in the news. Right. Um, The news continues to be a particularly mentally draining thing. Right.
0: Fuck Yeah. To say the least. Fucking bleak, man. Fucking bleak. mm
1: -hmm. Yep. Shout out to all the. All the homies and all the people that are uh, dealing with the weather conditions right now, which we could do yeah. a whole, we could do a whole podcast on that one, Leroy. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> all things considered, um, no, I am doing well. How about yourself, Leroy?
0: Yeah, man, I'm doing great because um, it's my birthday week, so I took the week off from work because hey, you know, like T likes to make fun of me. Um, we have a robust labor system here, so like I have annual leave, I have time loo. I have all this shit, and yes, Austin. Wait, how old are you about to be?
2: Old enough.
0: It's enough. okay, Leroy. <laughs> old enough. Nah. Um should should I should I give it away? The no, thing is, if I give it away, no. I'm gonna give away T as well because we we were born the same year. So I, yeah, let's I was born not. first. Let's now, not. So we won't, we won't. We Here's won't.
1: all we will say is that we will let the record show that Austin is the youngest by a significant margin. So we'll just we'll just let the uh, record show that and let the listeners get their own opinions from
0: that. Like I want to say significant, you know, like you're a big well, No, 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 no. I, I
2: disagree, know, man. No, no, no. It reflects in his immature attitude, his undeveloped Wrong. and unsophisticated
0: political. Wrong. Thinking. No, that's it. That's 100 percent with you. Anyway, <laughs> I'm doing great because I get the week off. I get to spend it with with um, comrade son. So, which is always great because obviously being work all the time, oh, yeah. I don't get to spend the time. It's just first thing in the morning, they want to get home. And by the time I'm home, it's dinner time, it's bath time, then it's bedtime for him. You know what I mean? So, I get to spend some quality time, which is good. I got to spend all morning yesterday and all morning today as well because um, my wife's at work as well. So, we just me and him, which is always good because we don't get a lot of opportunities to do that. And as a parent, as a father who loves his child dearly, it's really, really rewarding. Um, And yeah, feels great. Anyway, the oh, any yeah. weather's... A little bit better than it is over there in most part of the United States, so I, don't, I to be completely honest, I don't have much to complain about, except I have to spend the afternoon with you motherfuckers, but it's all good, we're <laughs> having fun out <at> yep. <laughs> Anyway, let's get the ball moving, right? So, um a few headlines before we get into it. Um, in Chile, politicians, lawmakers, social movements, and labor organizations on Thursday handed over a letter to Chile's president, Sebastián Piñera, requesting the dissolution of the military police, properly known as the Carabineros. Now, these are the goons that get called in to repress protests where they've visually maimed over 300 Chileans just in the past few years when all you know, all hell was breaking loose in Chile. Um, they've pushed a the teenager over a bridge, and I don't think I have to mention their treatment of the indigenous folks there, especially the Mapuche people, right? right? They predate Pinochet by decades, but they very much became... The black shirt of of the regime internalizing the culture to this day. So they still walk around and act like they're still fucking, you know, Pinochet foot soldiers. Um, Actually, police brutality in Chile has been condemned by organizations such as the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights and the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. So basically, the UN has come out and, and called them out for their fucking police brutality. So fuck them. So this is great. And this comes also within the context of reforming the military as a whole. They're just the biggest, I guess, most most present you know, manifestation of that because they're out in the streets, you know, repressing people, like like in the streets. Um, up in Haiti, the interim president appointed by the Haitian opposition, Joseph Messin, pledged on Thursday to hold, quote, honest and credible elections, end quote, during his mandate. This is as President Jovenel Moise refuses to leave despite widespread social unrest. If the opposition plans um, move forward, constitutional reform will occur in April and the general election will be held in september of this year so hopefully that goes down and austin i think you had a few thoughts on this as well
1: yeah sure now two weeks ago we spent a a decent chunk of time uh talking about haiti and kind of the lead up to uh to what was happening in haiti um and why it was a significant event that everybody should be uh paying attention to right or at least that was the case that we made um Literally, not even like the day after we released the podcast, basically the day of, like there were major developments uh, in Haiti regarding uh, this story. Um, There was basically what amounted to, and you touched upon this, Leroy, basically what amounted to a self-coup literally the morning after we recorded, right? Uh, Where Jovenel Moyes arrested, what, like 30 different opposition figures. To go along with the you know, a lot of civilians, of course, that uh, he's cracked down on and arrested as well. But fundamentally, when we get to this uh, to this story that you're referencing, as far as the Haitian opposition kind of consolidating together and uh, co- and coalescing around, um, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, Joseph Mecen Jean Louis Jean Louis, sorry, um, who was a Supreme Court judge in Haiti, uh, who the opposition has declared as interim president, right? Um, I think it's important to dwell on that for a brief moment, just as an example of something we talked about two weeks ago, which is Jovenel Moise is so unpopular, man. Right. He's so yeah. unpopular that that these sectors of the civil society have coalesced into the opposition. Right. Which is why I go back to this is why I was kind of somewhat surprised by the brazenness that that Biden had approached with Haiti anybody with two eyes, matter of fact, anybody with one eye could have seen that backing Jovenel Moyes for another year was going to result in massive unrest. Um, And once again, (laughs) I think the fact that it's literally a Supreme Court judge and large sectors of the civil society that are in open defiance to Jovenel Moyes, right? They do not recognize him as the president, right? Exactly. There's been there's been massive rallies, massive anti-moise rallies. Um and, and once again, I, I just go back to what we said two weeks ago, which is Washington, DC, right? The OAS, Biden, they're extremely naive if they think they can just handpick a president that's that's that unpopular. Um and I think it's important to to remember that.
2: I I think I think it's in line. Um this this is interesting because this is giving us kind of an indication of Biden, how Biden behaves or might behave going forward, you know, as his presidency opens up, because we've seen this sort of behavior before where he kind of rushes into something with like a really clear, almost absolute position. You know, he did this on the economy, you know, where he, you know, apparently, you know, originally was kind of holding the line on, you know, some much needed reforms in his covid bill. But then he kind of walks it backwards Right. And we're seeing it. it's I wonder if this is just his style, if this is going to be Biden. Biden's going to do kind of stupid, you know, kind of rush ahead things without thinking and then either cautiously walk it backwards or push even further and fuck it up even harder. But I I think this is an an interesting indication of what Biden is.
0: Yeah, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, the um, what's her name? Julie Chung. She's the assistant acting assistant director of. What's the hold up? I have her actual thing here. Um, Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of Western Hemis- Hemisphere Affairs. So basically, she's some <laughs> bureaucrat, some, you know, one of those organizations. Just something evil. I think I, <laughs> right. something evil. She tweeted out, I remember like leading up to that before that, she was talking about, oh, you know, the people need to come together and blah, blah, blah. She's the one who, you know, she keeps talking about, you know, Venezuela, Nicaragua, all this shit. And then after everything started popping off, she tweeted some like pro clutching tweet thing, I think, was saying, like, oh, I cannot believe that, you know, someone in, in Haiti would, you know, oh like supersede the the will of the mm-hmm. Supreme Court and blah 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 and that's you know not democracy. I'm like, motherfucker, like y'all did this. Like y'all motherfuckers created the material conditions for this to fucking happen. Like this mm-hmm. this is that cynical fucking bullshit. And like it's like I always ask myself when I see this, do you see this shit? Like, are they honestly this fucking blind, this fucking stupid? Or is this a plan? It's legit. Like, let me let me pretend to wash my hands because I think everyone else is stupid. Like, do they think we're stupid or are they genuinely stupid? Or both?
2: Yeah, obviously, you know, I think when the question is, are they evil or stupid, it's always both. <laughs> yeah. um, right. Um. So... We remember, you know, so Obama, when Obama was president, Obama was probably the most effective imperialist president of my lifetime, probably all of our lifetimes, the most effective imperialist. We assumed going into this that Biden was probably just going to be a repeat of Obama's kind of smart imperialism. Um, I am less sure. I think this is going to be the, you know, if Obama is the tragedy of dashed hope, you know, I really think, you know, like the like the saying goes, I think Biden's going to be the fucking farce. I, and I think there's indications to that already.
1: Real quick, I still think there's reason to believe that Biden is going to approach a thaw with Cuba. Right. And there's more and more reports indicating that obviously we'll see uh, when it happens. Um, but that's obviously a significant thing to consider. And also a very significant thing to consider when talking about Joe Biden before we get off this is that just as we said two weeks ago, Biden has once again shredded his deportation moratorium.
0: So fuck Joe Biden. Fuck you, Joe. Back he's to you, already right? deported, I think, it's like 30,000 people or something. Like he's <sighs> something been president like for fucking like 30 days and it's like 30,000 people he's been he deported. He already came up with that that um that, that memo saying that, we're, we're not actually going to do this shit. Like he's working like in close ties with ICE and, CB, and uh, CBP and shit like that. So fuck that motherfucker.
2: Yeah. And where, where are all the fucking liberals too? You know, they Kids were talking about the fucking, yeah. Yeah, apparently that's over now. Anyway, but yeah. Anyway, before this is this is yeah, shit.
0: Yeah. Anyway, the thing is, we get passionate because you know Haiti, is the blueprint, right? Haiti is the you know the historical blueprint for us. Anyway, solidarity with Haiti always. Moving on, Um, our last little headline, one that's uh, irks my fucking soul. <laughs> Logan Paul is the latest <laughs> big-ish name. tax evader. To declare his desire to move to Puerto Rico. I'll keep this brief because we can be here all day talking about this. And we have discussed this in the past ad nauseum. This is a drop in the bucket in the tsunami of gringos doing the exact same thing. Just quick context. We've talked about it before, but just it needs to be hammered home. This is an extension of what's called Ley 22, so Law 22 or Act 22, that basically which, which was passed in 2000, uh, 2012 by the criminal organization mm-hmm. the PMP, which is the pro statehood Party by Luis Fortuno and his Secretary of State, Kenneth McClintock whose fucking son is a little weasely piece of shit as well <laughs> so fuck that motherfucker He's he's one of those oh I'm a I'm a left wing statehood person oh I'm you know I'm a I'm a left whatever shut the fuck up you're a fucking piece of shit that's what you are anyway he's such Leventidos, an obnoxious little weasel I I t- like and I, t- I, t- I said in the chat like even if I didn't know his politics he has that face that like would be nothing personal I just want to <laughs> fucking punch it you know anyway um, basically allows Americans to settle in Puerto Rico um, and pay no tax on passive residual income, which is why you get all these k- crypto bros, where you get all these hedge fund people, all these like, you know, investors, they move to Puerto Rico. They're still doing business in the United States, but because it's technically like passive income and it's capital gains, they pay almost nothing in tax. There's a few caveats. Like they have to live in Puerto Rico for half the year, but who's not going to want to live in a fucking beautiful tropical island? You know what I mean? They have right. to buy real estate, but what they're going to do is buy up all the cheap real estate Redevelop it Drive the prices up And gentrify the entire fucking island And we're we're literally seeing that And you get motherfuckers coming out On Twitter, on Facebook And everything talking about Oh, you know I just sold my company So I'm moving to Puerto Rico Because Puerto Rico You know, has a lot of good opportunities And blah, blah, blah I don't understand why the locals Don't want me there And blah, 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 blah Like, you know what? That fucking bullshit So Again I could be here all day Like my blood is fucking boiling So I'm just gonna uh, Pass it over to you, bro
1: Real quick, all I'm going to say is one thing, which is it's so important for independentistas or anybody who cares about Puerto Rico to emphasize statehood is gentrification. Colony is gentrification, right? As long as Puerto Rico stays within this status of being a territory or a colony or a state or whatever the fuck of the United States, uh, gentrification of the island is in inevitability right so if you consider yourself socialist if you consider yourself a progressive whatever the fuck you want to call yourself being pro gentrification is a very curious position to hold um so if you're pro statehood you might want to think about
0: that absolutely anyway moving on what we're actually going to be talking about today what we're actually going to devote time today few options few um topics sorry um we're going to be talking about Bolivia and how this past i think it was Wednesday the government legit just Gave the IMF back this massive loan that the coup government took out, plus the interest that was accrued. So, like, look, not, we're not going to fucking take it because we're not going to, you know, we're not, we're not going to be slaves to you. So, they gave it back plus interest. And now they're bringing charges against the coup government for potential damages and the damages that taking this loan occur, um, incurred against the Bolivian people. Um, we'll be talking about this new left wing coalition that's forming in Colombia um, to, they're going to run in elections and hopefully run as a block and to really cement their position in in colombian government which is going to be very exciting because as we know colombia is the if there's if there's a 51st state it's colombia right they they function they act at the whim of the united states so having proper left-wing governments in power there it's going to be massive for the region um massive for the colombians as well and a huge fuck you to the north um but we'll probably (laughs) kick it off with a uh i guess discussion sort of review of our conversations um that we uh, we did with, with Dennis Rogachuk and uh, Matt Kay the other day. So, again, if you haven't listened to those, listen to those, because we're about to talk about it now. And we'll probably expound upon that and provide a little bit of context and updates of what's happened so far um, with that. So, obviously, the results are kind of finalized. So, the triumphant two that are going to the next round is um, our boy Araus and uh, pro-business, neoliberal, conservative, Lasso. So, Yaku Pérez fell by the wayside despite his, you know, misgivings and his whole attempt to, you know, do a recount, claims of fraud or whatever. So he's completely out, which um I believe is a good thing for Araus because what was what's gonna happen is going to split that sort of left indigenous um coalition. So the people who are actual like real leftists, real, you know, I, I hate to say real indigenous activists because that sounds really bad but the people were actually committed to the cause as opposed to like opportunists right those people will definitely go with that else, and the other opportunists may or may not go with lasso or at the end of the day they might actually just go with that else. But, but that's that's left to be seen
1: yeah definitely so we've talked a decent amount about ecuador in the past few in the past month Right for obvious reasons, the very crucial presidential election has just concluded, as you referenced, Leroy, and as we've talked about in our previous couple episodes. Um, however, to anybody who's been following this, uh, you'd probably know that the results only got certified fucking yesterday. So, yesterday. I think it's in. Im- yep. So, I think it's important uh, now for us to. I guess now as the dust has seemingly begun to clear to analyze what the hell exactly happened in Ecuador on election day. Right. Um, so as I mentioned yesterday, the official vote totals were certified, right? The national electoral council of Ecuador, the CNE, right. Uh, they finally announced yesterday, the final vote totals and with 100% reporting, uh, Andres Arauz and UNES, right. The union for hope, um, They led with 32% of the vote compared to second place candidate. And as you mentioned, Leroy, neoliberal banker, right? Um, Guillermo Lasso, uh, who finished with around 20% of the vote. Um, And also, I think it's important context to point out that now had Arouse reached 40%, he would have avoided the runoff entirely. Um, But since that wasn't the case he'll be heading into an April 11th runoff. Once again, most likely with Guillermo Lasso. And I say most likely, uh, because more and more as our homeboy, Matt K mentioned on our previous podcast, it seems as if the right wing will continue to try to push for arouses exclusion (laughs) as outrageous as that is right to exclude the person, um, who finished first. And, uh, First by a clear margin, um, so I think it's also important for us to to think about why Arouse didn't win in the first round, mm. right? Um, I know speaking for myself, and I think maybe for you as well, Leroy. If I recall correctly from our Ecuador podcast, um, you you and I were relatively confident, right? I, I to your credit, T. I remember you saying, being kind of more cautious and urging caution when it came to the election in Ecuador. Um, I thought it was almost a guarantee that Arauz was going to win in the first round. I'm sure that was part, in part overconfidence from what had happened in Bolivia. Um, and I think, once again, that overconfidence from Arce winning outright in Bolivia led to a, a bit of an overlooking of just how low, the right would go to try and steal this from my part, certainly. And I think that's such an important point to make as well. The fact that from day one, they have been trying to steal this from day, not even day one, neg- day negative one, when Almagro and Moreno had that <laughs> meeting before the election even happened.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Bolivia and like our overconfidence or overconfidence existed. I think the difference between Arce's outright m- massive just you know unequivocal win compared to Arauz winning the first round going into the runoff it's, it's there's a massive difference there because we, we have to remember the situation in Bolivia was essentially a like rebuking an entire coup you know what i mean so everyone in the country besides that sort of fascist minority there call like even a Felipe Quispe who's a frenemy of Evo, who under normal circumstances might have not you know, voted for him or might have pushed, you know, might have ran himself, or whatever. Even he coalesced around Evo because he knew what the stakes were. Whereas with Lenin Moreno, as fucking odious as the spick he is, this was more of a, originally sort of a left leaning sort of president who kind of took a heel turn and kind of embraced neoliberalism, but it was all more. I hate to say straightforward is the word. Like, I don't know if straightforward is the proper word, but like, I think you guys know what I mean. Like it's more of a, this guy was president. He turned out to be shit. So let's elect a new person to hopefully make sure we go back to that. And it wasn't necessarily rebuking an entire fucking like regime change. You know what I mean? So I think that was one of the biggest differences that we we saw.
2: We have to ask the question though. And it is true that, uh, that they've been trying to steal it from negative day one, and I'm not going to show my ass entirely for being, you know, more right than you fellas on on this one, but hey. I will. <laughs> um, so here's here's the thing we got to answer though, whether or not they were trying to steal it, which they were, because it's Latin America, and that's what right wingers do in all American countries—they try to steal elections because they're right wingers. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, Yaku still got. A sizable percentage of support uh, yeah. in the highlands, especially in the highlands, and as we and we have to answer, we have to answer the question why.
1: So, yes, that's a very important question to answer. Um, before we go there, though, I think when <laughs> when talking about once again the fact that they have been trying to steal this from day one, and you know, you mentioned Yaku Perez, I think that's an important part of the story. You know, um, because it wasn't just. The secret OAS meeting between El Magro and Moreno. It's also the voter suppression, right? The very long voter lines. Yes, secret. Um, There's also the mystifying way in which the CNE counted the votes in Ecuador, as our homeboy Matt K. mentioned uh, uh, earlier this week. Um, So once again, I lean back on a phrase that I used in the interview with Dennis and Matt, which is political hit job, right? Smells like a political hit job. So we've touched upon a bit Lenin Moreno and Guillermo Lasso, right? Two explicit, open neoliberals who will sell Ecuador to the IMF. Matter of fact, one of them already has, right? They've said and done as much already. Um, Quite obvious to see why they would be involved in those two people, at least why they would be involved in and pushing a political hit job against Andres Arauz and the Union for Hope, right? So, so what is Yaku Perez's role in all of this, right? One, one might ask. Oh yeah, it's, um, this
2: is this is something. This is something that's going to confuse people. How shall we say in um West? You know, in the global north.
1: Yeah, I think. uh I think this question of Yaku Perez and more broadly, Patrick Kudyk is worth much more careful consideration and analysis. Um, Yaku Perez, who came in third place, um, was just a couple points shy of Guillermo Lasso. Um, or I should say it's looking like he will only finish a couple points shy of Guillermo Lasso. We'll, we'll see what the final totals are. Um, now, he's been crying fraud ever since the election happened, right? What, what has been the basis of... Of these fraud accusations. Um, Well, Yaku himself (laughs) has claimed and would tell you that um, he was trending to be in the runoff, right? As the vote count was coming in in, and exit polls, he was trending to be in the runoff until Rafael Correa himself somehow manipulated the CNE, which is led by a Pachacudic member, might I add, um, and somehow pushed Guillermo Lasso ahead, right? That's what he would have you believe, which is preposterous to anybody. Who even has a cursory knowledge of Ecuador and how the election was run?
0: Yeah, just quickly. What's important to keep in mind as well: Rafael Correa lives in Belgium. Like he's Mm -hmm. nowhere near Ecuador. Everyone in power in Ecuador hates Correa. Like I think you mentioned. Like also you mentioned this. Like I don't remember. Like in in what story? Ages ago. That like if if these people are in power, how is there fraud against them? Against people in power? Like you know what I mean? Anyway, sorry for interrupting, but uh, I think that's important to keep in mind that like Rafael Correa is in, lives in Belgium, like he's nowhere near Ecuador.
1: That's abs- that's a very important detail. Thank you, Leroy. Um, and fundamentally, once again, as we discussed earlier this week, with an actual election observer who was there in Quito, recommend you listen to it if you haven't. Um, any legitimate election observer analysis would prove that the contrary of Yaku Perez's accusations are true, right? That this was a, a fair election as far as uh, there being no signs of explicit voter fraud, right? Now, of course, there was voter suppression, uh, but as far as Correa secretly stuffing ballots, there's no evidence for that. <laughs> um, so who is Yaku Perez? Who are Pachakudik? Um, why Why are, or should I say, why is Yaku Perez seemingly helping Guillermo Lasso and the neoliberals in ecuador um well <laughs> yaku perez first gained notoriety in ecuador during the presidency of rafael correa right um he led prominent anti Correa press protests ostensibly in favor of environmentalism and against what corruption right against corruption whatever the fuck that means not too dissimilar um From the Lava Jato protests in Brazil, which were happening at the same time, which Yaku also supported. Um, Yaku supported the removal of Dilma, was supportive of the coup in Bolivia, right? Um, And has basically spent his entire career (laughs) making sure that leftist governments are uniquely identified as the center of corruption within Latin American politics. His entire record has been that. Um, It should sound familiar to anybody who's familiar with Latin American politics. Um, now,
2: or U S politics, by the way,
1: American politics. Yes. Now, though, it seems clear to me, once again, this is my opinion, right? Though it seems clear to me, and I'd love to know what you both think about this, though, it seems clear to me that Yaku Perez is a bad actor. I still think it's very important to separate Yaku from both Patrick Kudic and Konae, right? Yes. Yes. So who's Konae, right? Who's Konae? Conae is the Confederation of Indigenous Organizations of Ecuador. Um, it's the largest indig- indigenous lobby in the, or- in the country, you could say. Um, they were the backbone of the 2019 uprising against Lenin Moreno, which permanently damaged his government, right? Moreno never recovered from that. Um, Conae has existed since 1986 and has long been an example of one of the most militant and organized indigenous groups on the continent.
0: Um, Yeah, just quickly, um, just taking that comment about the um, 2019 sort of uprisings against the IMF loans, whatever, because that whole thing took place because Lenin Moreno announced like, oh, we're going to start taking IMF loans. They militarized. They went to the streets. They pushed back. Um, That motherfucker fled to Guayaquil on the coast, which is the center of white Ecuador, as you (laughs) can say. And eventually he gave in. And if I'm not Hmm. not mistaken, he, he took that back. They never took out the IMF loan because of the pressure there. Yeah. Yeah. You backtracked.
1: Um, and the, and Konai and the indigenous were, I mean, they weren't just crucial to that movement. They were that movement, right? They were the backbone of that movement. Yeah. Um, and it was this organization. and you know, I referenced, they started in the eighties and kind of came up in the nineties. Um, and, it, and it was that, or- it was this organization during the nineties that led to the establishment of Patrick Kudyk, the party in 1995. Um, Patrick Kudyk was founded as an explicitly socialist and plurinationalist party designed to be quote and this will sound familiar to both of you and anybody who's listened to our Bolivian episodes it was designed to be quote an instrument of the people right that was Pachacudic's intentions um once again similar to the function of MAS in Bolivia who's who are is literally uh, referred to as the instrument of the people right the instrument of the bases so to speak um Yaku Perez is not Konae nor is he Pachacudic right and we yeah. shouldn't singularly identify them as such for me Yaku Perez is an opportunist. Uh, Konae has been very clear in not establishing support for Guillermo Lasso, the neoliberal banker candidate. And it's clear to me throughout these past few weeks that Yaku has had to respond to some of that internal pressure um, and adopt some more anti-Lasso statements um, that he's made since the election. Uh, But once again, I'd be curious to know what both of your opinions are on Yaku Perez Pachakutik and the role that they have played in this uh, election, because as I as I have said, it's clear to me in my opinion, Yaku Perez is an opportunist, but that does not reflect on Cone or Pachakudik. They are much more complicated and nuanced than
0: that. One hundred percent on my part. I mean, I agree with you. I don't have much to add to that. But one thing we need to make very very clear is that we can call Yaku Perez an opportunist, um, a, a an op or whatever you want to call it, but to bring his indigeneity into question to making it a racial thing is absolutely disgusting and if you do that you are not a my comrade you are not a comrade of this show we can talk about him go ahead sorry
2: yeah you're not on the fucking team fuck off no fuck right off
0: yeah we could talk about him you know giving up the movement and all that shit but to bring into question any thing regarding his indigeneity his his identity and everything that fuck right off seriously
1: well, you're not a plural nationalist, right? Which exactly. brings me to somebody which brings me to somebody who is a proud plurinationalist. Uh I'll let you go first, T, before I segue here.
2: Yeah, Sorry, sorry, but like you wanted to know like I sure. about Yaku and and I think just what you were about to get into is is perfect. Um so here's the thing. I agree, obviously. Yaku again, it it smells. It smells is what it is. There's there's something there. There smells like smoke, and you know, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? My question is this, and it's something that this is a classic debate that has happened on the continent that we talk about over and over and over again because it is a live issue and it will always be a live issue. What is the source of the beef between indigenous groups like Konaye and socialist parties on the continent. It is this argument over land rights and development, right, environmental concerns. These are legitimate issues that the socialist government's failure to to figure out, to to figure out a solution to this gives an opening to people like Yaku Perez um, and then by proxy neoliberals like Lasso. So something that the socialist parties still need to grapple with, and I think it's important to Kind of like recognize this this tension that exists, this contradiction um, that exists within these societies. Uh, because if if they don't grapple if if they don't grapple with those problems, there's going to be more yaku's. There's going to be more opportunists, and eventually, one of those opportunists are going to be more successful.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked about it with the, when we did our deep dive in Bolivia with the 1952 um, MNR revolution. And how basically we have a sort of left leaning revolution come in, but then they rendered all the indigenous folks as peasants, as opposed to recognizing their indigeneity and making that an identity based, class based sort of um, issue. Um, and but I think this all goes back to like you, a lot of socialist parties, a lot of socialist governments try to be good socialists, so it's a lot of Marx and not enough um, Mariategi, right? when he came out was talking about a truly indigenous American type of socialism. So that's my two cents. I know Austin, you, you're going somewhere with your thought.
1: Yeah, totally. And definitely agree with everything that, uh, that you both just said. Um, uh, I so I was going to do a nice little segue here, which I will complete, um, which is, uh, we were talking about plurinationalism and obviously we consider ourselves plurinationalists. I, I'm a proud plurinationalist, right? I think we all are. Um, And you know who else is a proud plurinationalist? Andres Arauz. I think that's a very important thing to drive home as well. This is not, oh, it's us or them. No, 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 no. no. I think Andres Arauz's rhetoric has been brilliant throughout this whole thing. Um, I think fundamentally, it's almost a useless exercise, in my opinion, to get bogged down into this debate over what Pachacudic's, quote, true intentions are, or if they are, quote, too influenced by USAID funding or whatever. Um, I think Andres Arauz has given the clearest and most constructive answers uh, when asked about the divide between UNES and Konae, and right? And I recommend Andres Arauz's English Language Democracy Now interview. He's a very eloquent, yes. charismatic guy. Um, Andres said, quote, um or excuse me hold on give me one second um okay it looks like i lost that quote so jk but consistently what he said is that andres has emphasized that uh seeing ecuador to vote over 70% in favor of plurinationalism and in rejection of neoliberalism is something to be celebrated right yeah. Andres has been very wise in making overtures to Pachacutic and Konae. I think we should follow his lead, right? The indigenous groups, they're not stupid, man. They're not stupid. They don't need people in Guayaquil or in the north to lecture them, right? Um, They know who Lasso is. They know who Guillermo Lasso is. Um, This is why, once again, Konae itself has not once declared support uh, for Lasso. Um, But once again, this is is a developing story. This is one that we'll um, continue to... uh, to To report on, um, but still very, very important story right now.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And before we move on, there, I think we can all agree that we're pretty confident that Araus will come out on top, um, and that sort of um, Pachakutik sort of coalition will come through and support Araus. Anyway, um, moving on. So our next story that we'll cover is that coalition that's sort of forming in Colombia of all the major sort of left wing parties there. Um, that's been called a grand coalition, so um, a platform of political parties and movements of the left, among which is the Human Colombia of uh, Gustavo Petro. So Petro is sort of that main right. Bernie Sanders type of figure in Colombia. So he's like the face of it. He's been the targets of all the right wing urubistas um, U- in Colombia. They also, I'm pretty sure, they hit him with the cancer gun at one point, and he bounced back and he's fine. Um, yep,
2: they didn't get him. They didn't get him with the cancer gun. He lived. Yeah, they
0: didn't. They didn't get him, but he announced that coalition um, that they're intending to try to run and achieve the majorities in the Senate and House of Representatives in next year's election. So they're trying to get 55 seats in the Senate and 86 seats in the House of Representatives necessary to have a majority in parliament and ach- achieve profound changes that will lead Colombia to be a better country in all fields. Um, and we literally mean in all fields because this will be a co- again, we talk about rebuking, you know neoliberalism in the United States, this would be massive because this is unification across the board. I think even like the FARC is part of this coalition. Like even the even the more moderate left and the extreme left parties are like, look, let's pull up petty bullshit aside. We need to coalesce around, you know, pushing back against, you know, the the prevailing neoliberal order that's destroyed our country, that's destroyed our region for decades, decades. I know Colombia is sort of your wheelhouse Austin. So
1: Yeah, I mean, Colombia is such an important uh, country in Latin America. It's such an important country in South America. It's such an important country geopolitically, right, for the reasons that you've described, Leroy. Um, For me, (laughs) a connoisseur, right, in in nerdy Latin American politics, and this is some nerdy Latin American politics right here. Um, This was the most extraordinary political development that I've seen in a long time. Um, this uh, pacto Histórico, right? The historic pact. Um, as you described, Leroy, this is <laughs> this is an electoral pact that forms a coalition of multiple different political parties in Colombia. Um, some of the parties involved are comunes, or as you refer to them, Leroy, the FARC party, right? They're more commonly known as. Um, it also includes MAIS, an indigenous party, an indigenous party, I should say. Uh, Colombia Humana is also a part of this, which, as you both referenced, Gustavo Petro's party. They're kind of like a progressive social democratic kind of party. Um, it also includes the the oop, the Patriotic Union, which uh, any of my uh, Colombian guerrilla movement enthusiasts out there um, would know the Patriotic Union is the legacy of the FARC's first attempt to go to legit in the early 90s. It's interesting to see them a part of this. Um, a couple other minor parties, and most curiously, most stunningly to me at least, uh, the Liberal Party. The Liberal yeah. Party of Colombia is involved in this. The Liberal Party, which is one of the oldest parties in Colombian history, it was the party of Gaetan. Uh, but more importantly, those motherfuckers were literally in coalition with Duque just like two years ago. So that's like, holy shit. Um, to see these different parties coming together is extraordinary to me. Um, but first, as you touched upon, Lira, I think anytime we try to analyze Colombian politics, it's so important to analyze what Colombia's role in the hemisphere is, right? Um, Functionally, (laughs) the Colombian government is a U.S.-backed puppet government, right? Functionally. Um, I don't hesitate for a moment in saying that Colombia is the single most important regional ally of the United States in this hemisphere. It's not even close, I might argue. Um, That's right, Canada. That's right, I said it um and i think colombia in general is the it's the heart of reaction in south america um that's where us funding goes that's where us troops are stationed in colombia right and the united states has has made sure to guarantee to control colombia in this you know quasi protectorate state in perpetuity due from its unlimited funding right that's how it gets its tentacles so deep in there
0: yeah 100% someone once once called it the israel of latin america essentially because that's almost a function it, it, it serves. You know what I mean?
1: Mm, pretty much. No, absolutely.
2: I think the analogy would be closer to Saudi Arabia, but mm, for other... Eh, but eh,
1: maybe a little bit in between the two, I suppose. A yeah, <laughs> a little bit in between the two, right?
2: You, suffice it to say the Colombian state are a bunch of motherfuckers. Indeed. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> that that's, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Motherfuckers. Um and God, yeah, this is another example of you know, we talk about Jovanel moise being very unpopular. Ivan Duque is very unpopular right now. Ivan Duque, the the ruling far right US puppet in Colombia, who ran as a continuation of Uribismo, right? Alvoro Uribe's far right governance style in Colombia. Um He's certainly governed (laughs) like Uribe is back and it has not been popular. Um, I'd say one of the big two, a couple of the biggest reasons he's so unpopular in Colombia is his shredding or his attempted shredding of the peace deal, right? Uh, Colombians want peace, right? So does the FARC. Uh, It's the assholes in power that don't want peace. You want to know who keeps killing people and massacring innocent people in Colombia? It's the government. That's who's doing it. Um, and I think, uh, once again, that's part of the reason why Yvonne Duque is extremely unpopular. And another reason, like many countries in Latin America, like many countries in the world, I suppose, in the past few years, in 2019, Colombia saw massive protests, big protests, the Paro Nacional, right? A couple of them. And I remember being very intrigued, encouraged, seeing how many people were coming out in Bogota, right? That's always a big deal. Oh, shit, you know? an actual progressive movement building in Colombia. That's the dream, right? Which is literally what we're talking about. Um, I think those two things, right? Uh, attacking the peace deal nonstop, um, cracking down on those protests. Um, those have... Mur- permanent- murdering
0: indigenous people indiscriminately every day.
1: Yep. Murdering indigenous people indiscriminately every day. Colombia is the most dangerous place in the world for trade unionists for a reason, right? Because they just kill you. It's that simple. Um, These are the reasons that Ivan Duque is so goddamn unpopular right now. Um, To me, for me at least, the question when it comes to this historic pact, this coalition, is can the coalition hold, right? Can the coalition hold? They're aiming to still be a coalition by the presidential elections next year. If they can hold, bro, dudes, if this coalition holds, for me, it has a genuine chance to shock, not Colombia, the world in 2022. Will the elections be free? Fuck no, of course they won't. Um, they'll definitely be rigged. They were rigged last time. That literally already came out in a report uh, when it was just Duque and Petro in the runoff. Um, but with this opposition unified and with Duque as unpopular as he is, who the fuck knows?
2: You know, I I think one thing that gives me a little bit of hope in terms of like the possibilities of theft is the fact that the Liberal Party is involved because again they are an institutional, yes. uh. Part or you're a part of the institutions of, of the state in Colombia, so that is definitely a very kind of like holy shit. However, I again I'm gonna be the rain cloud uncharacteristically. I so this is clearly predicated more about Duque than anything they have in common because these parties. By and large, don't have much in common. I, I would argue the Liberal Party obviously stands out as the most different from the rest of the pack. But this is more about Duque rather than I positive a vision necessarily. Um, I mean, obviously a year is a long time, so they have a, a time to articulate a message. This again, they just announced the coalition, so it might be a little unfair to to expect that so soon. But I am curious about wh- how you know what are they advancing. What is their plan for governing if they actually were to take over? Because, I mean, that's a lot of power sharing deals that they have to work out. I mean, that's why it seems to me this is more of a political move against Duque than even necessarily a electoral strategy predicated on victory. Although I might be like fucking galaxy braining myself into this shit. I don't know. (laughs)
1: so yeah of course there's a little bit of an element of an anti-incumbency sort of thing however i think it is important to point out in one of their statements or whatever when they came out the historic pack they said something to the effect of oh yeah and we made sure not to invite any conservative parties some shit like that like oh there were there we didn't want to violate our ideological principles by having whatever you know other parties something like that um the fact that i've seen gustavo petro timochenko Ivan Zapata, all these people on the same page for a fucking coalition makes my Ooh. fucking brain explode. Yeah, it's crazy. Um it's crazy. I think if I was to make a prediction, right? I think that <laughs> I think that in 2022, if this coalition holds, it's a big if, right? Uh, I think Petro's their candidate, right? Petro is going to be the one person who's most palatable to everybody. He was literally in the runoff against Duque last time, right? For the liberals, he's not one of those fucking Farquistas, right? For the Farquistas, he's not one of them fucking liberals. Um, so I think Gustavo Petro... I said it four fucking years ago, and I'll say it again. He, This is the Latin American Bernie. This is the social Democrat who, granted, like, politics is bullshit, but just by the virtue of being a social Democrat elected in Colombia that's a former fucking guerrilla, it would literally be a sea change of sea changes. Like, it, it can't be emphasized enough how much of a fucking like uh, it would be incredible if, if 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 petro was actually able to
0: win also let's not forget that when he was hit with the cancer gun he went to cuba to get <sighs> treated so his connections to cuba he's really really cool with cuba so that's always positive but um two points before we, before we move on um bringing it back home so to speak to the u.s remember like a few weeks ago but I think even before the election like biden was asked about like you know his ideas of latin america and he came out oh yeah Plan Colombia was really good, you know I'm a big supporter, Ugh. We need to get back on track Blah, 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 blah And for those of you who know, Pl- Plan Colombia ostensibly I wouldn't say started all the fuckery in Colombia But it it basically legitimized on paper The mass executions of anyone remotely Seen to be leftists, of indigenous people Of, of, of farmers, of, you know Quote-unquote, you know, corrupt drug dealers And stuff like that, remember that's This is not a good thing if Biden, you know Follows through and, you know <laughs> reignites this shit so that's that positive but i'm just thinking could you imagine if this coalition is successful they elect say pedro as their um candidate we have a leftist government in venezuela we have a leftist government in colombia we have a leftist government in ecuador this is fucking gran colombia this is like simon bolivar's fucking gran colombia you know what i mean maduro in
1: caracas petro in bogota and arouse in quito and Arce in La Paz or Sucre, excuse me, bro. Like that's too, like, I'm almost, I feel bad just even saying that as a sentence, right? I feel like it's like, just like bad vibes. Like I shouldn't even utter it into existence until it happens because the energy of that is just, it's too powerful. Just the just the thought of that it, it excites me in ways I can't explain. It's, it would
2: be a devastating blow to the right wing, just across the continent. Across the continent. I mean, if tick-tock, tick-tock, all eyes on Brazil were caught co- Bolsonaro's yeah. up next on the fucking uh chopping block. Shit.
1: Yeah. Bro, if Petros president, what the fuck does the ELN do? <laughs> like, there's so <laughs> many there's right? so many questions. JJ. There's a myriad, like I can't once again, I can't even begin to entertain the what ifs, because if we were to entertain the what ifs of this particular situation, we'd be here for five fucking hours.
2: Yeah, Yeah. fuck. All I can say is that if fuck, I said this once on a show a long time ago, and I'm going to be a super fucking rain cloud. Venezuela is safe. I don't think the left wing gets removed from Venezuela except by force. And I am afraid, though I could be wrong. But I'm afraid that the same is true of Colombia, that reaction is not removed out of Colombia except by force.
1: Final thought here, because I know we were moving on to our last story here. Um, I totally agree with that. And I think that fundamentally, the election will be rigged next year. It will. Like, I can't conceive of a world where the United States or Bogota would ever let that happen. However, the forces that will be unleashed by that rigging, I don't know if they're ready for that, man when they rig it because not if when they rig it next year colombia will be lit on fire so we'll we'll see how that develops (laughs) but that's once again to me the most astounding political development that i certainly saw this week
0: yeah hopefully from all that you you've gathered how important colombia is for the region (laughs) and for the for the hemisphere right (laughs) um but yeah so we'll, we'll move on to um because we're getting kind of long here to our last story it's a story about the imf one in bolivia that the government basically threw back with the interest like you know what you could have it back plus the interest fuck you see you later right and like i mentioned in the intro they've also brought charges against the coup government so the initial loan was requested by the anya's government in last year in 2020 of 346 over 346 million dollars um but it was done irregularly through like It wasn't done through the proper channels, so all this shit went down. Um, So on Wednesday, the Bolivian Central Bank sent it back with the additional cost of twenty four point three million dollars. Um and House Senator, the, the the speaker of the of the Senate, andronico Rodriguez, um said that they're also going to file a lawsuit against the coup mm-hmm. regime because it did not inform the assembly yeah. on how it acquired this credit, nor its conditions to supposedly face the COVID-19 pandemic. So basically that is saying that they went ahead, took this money without accountability, without saying, hey, look, we're about to take out a loan. These are the terms, this is how we're receiving it, and this is how we're going to be, you know, disseminating it. None of that took place. So now they're about to face the consequences um, before they can get the fuck out of Dodge and go to fucking Miami. So again, this is some king shit, some badassery of them being, look, fuck you. We're not going to take your conditions. Because like w- w- one thing we need to understand about these IMF loans, it isn't like a normal loan that we get from a bank. Like, oh, we need go to loan also. These are your interest rates. I'm going to put my car down as collateral. If I can't pay, they repossess my car. Like when it comes to these IMF loans, it's we'll give you this money, but you need to cut fucking like retirement plans you need to like get rid of fuel subsidies they're gonna like skyrocket the prices of like poor farmers in the fucking you know in, in the countryside like this is odious shit that they do here
2: i I'm, I'm gonna break it down for folks the i uh, the best way to think of this is very much like the mafia like the mob okay yeah picture yourself you are a you know a nice little person you're running a bar or somewhere you know somewhere in the you know in your city and then you know the wise guys show up and they say you're going to take a loan now you know they didn't ask you right they told you you're going to take this loan right so you take the loan they start doing the mafia shit they run up the bill they're drinking all your liquor they, they're they fucking taking all that shit and then lo and behold you're left with the bag and they burn the ho- they burn the bar down that's what the IMF is and that's what they do to countries. They go to countries, they force these policies onto them, you know, in uh, coalition with their cynical Comprador local politicians. They, you know, those cynical politicians run up the bill and then the IMF burns the country down. So yeah, that's, it really is, it functions the exact same way as a mafia shakedown.
1: Yo, straight up, is Janine Anya as a flight risk? Arce, you, we already know she booking her tickets to Miami right now she like they better make damn sure that whoever the f- that these gold piece to fucks face justice for the people that they killed you know for this bullshit right here and i think also appropriately um this was uh the completing of arce's first 100 days in office So I think capping it off with a giant brown middle finger to the IMF is a very good way to cap your first hundred days. Um, And as you mentioned, Leroy, you know, as many reported at the time, you know, for the Añez regime, that's right, regime, um, to accept such an odious, that word again, odious, an odious IMF loan. You know, it really wasn't just a slap in the face to the Bolivian people. It really was an egregious overstep. That backfired spectacularly, right? Because they're dumb. And it also proved the Bolivian Golpistas to be the sellout clowns that we knew they were. And fundamentally, most importantly, the loan was also a way of hurting any future MAS government. Mm, Which is why Luis Arce and Homeboy over here said, hey, IMF, go fuck yourselves. We did not sign this. Matter of fact, the motherfuckers that did... We about to throw them the fucking jail because this shit was fucked up. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are that's my thoughts.
0: I I think that's the king shit. They're like they didn't just say like, oh well fuck we didn't want this loan but it's here now I guess we're stuck with it. They just said no we're not we're gonna we're not gonna be on the hook for this. You know what we are even gonna pay a little bit extra to take it fucking back. We don't want it. We'll, we'll cop that expense. But fuck you guys, which I think that's that badassery king shit. Mm-hmm.
2: Very important to what you said, Austin, about how they use these policies to kind of kneecap future progressive governments. This should sound familiar to American listeners. This is exactly what reactionaries do in the United States, isn't it? A funny thing how the deficit only becomes a, a problem when there is like a, a Democrat in office or a you know a liberal in office. Right. And at the the moment, a Republican is in office, they start fucking spending money on every single bomb uh, you can find. Reactionaries do this, th- do this in Latin America, too. They do it in North America. They do. It's an American thing. You know, yeah. the United States, like its fellow American countries, you know, south of the border, uh, the reactionaries, they're all they're all cut from the same cloth.
1: So final predictions on Does she end up in jail or in Miami? Go. Anybody. Uh,
0: Like, I mean, as abolitionists, we shouldn't hope anyone goes to jail. (laughs) Well, I'm a bad
1: abolitionist.
0: So let's just say that um, I predict and I wouldn't be upset if she faced the full consequences of her actions. Man. In in Bolivia. In Bolivia. Honestly, (sighs)
2: I genuinely don't give a fuck. So the fact that she's out of power is what's cool. Yes. I, don't, I don't care what the fuck happens to her. As long as she's not in your power, she just fucking like whatever.
1: Personally, I'm not going to let go that she killed as many people as she did. And I personally yeah. would have a big smile on my face if she ever went to jail. But maybe that's just me.
2: I mean, how about this? How about this? She gets on a plane and she's flying to Miami and then there's an accident and the plane goes in the ocean. Do we agree with that one?
1: Now that's a fucked up thing to wish on somebody, <laughs> in my opinion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then fucking aliens came and it was wild. Like, nah, but... This is, this is look, all like, legend. Look, I think I mentioned before in previous episodes, she, she never really w- wielded much power. She was sort of that figure head of the coup who sort of fell into the position because she was technically the next person in line it was all the other ministers running the show it was fucking um what the fuck was his name the 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 minister of government that, that fucking guy anyway you guys know what i'm talking about he was the one pulling the strings behind the you know behind the scenes but like everything happens if someone's going to face the consequences it's going to be her because she was she was the face of it Brian, um Brian. again, I wouldn't be necessarily upset if like a trip to Miami was derailed by Exactly,
2: exactly. That's but. not that's a problem that's not a problem. It it'd be okay. I it's yeah. it's whatever.
0: Anyway. anyway. <laughs> cool. So I guess we'll leave it at that, yeah? Um cool. So again, thanks for tuning in. Um we appreciate y'all. Again, thank you to our Compost Oficialis for showing us the solidarity and allowing us to sort of get some projects off the off off the ground. Um, the the recording sort of platform that we use has updated itself, so we're trialing it with this first episode. So if it's a bit clunky, whatever, apologies, but um what we'll, that we'll eventually figure it out. Hopefully, hopefully we'll figure it out. Um, but now a lot of fun always doing this. Um cool. So all eyes on Haiti, all eyes on Ecuador, what's going on? All eyes on Colombia and Bolivia. Uh, solidarity with everyone on the, around the world, solidarity, especially with the folks down in Texas and everyone doing it tough with all the or, weather yeah, issues no because no that no shit doubt. is just fucked. In saying that, fuck Ted Cruz, fuck that motherfucker, fuck that motherfucker, man. Seriously, man. Yeah. Fuck that motherfucker. Um,
2: uh, real quick, you know, we have some special things uh, coming up, some special episodes lined up, uh, so keep an eye yeah. out for those.
1: Yeah, Um Yeah, totally. No, I was just going to say the same thing. Uh, Really good projects that we've got coming up. And of course, which I'm sure you were literally about to say, Leroy, we'll we'll be staying on a little bit later tonight as well for for exclusive Patreon content. Once again, we are transitioning our, you know, personal life content to Patreon exclusive content. So if you want to hear about how shitty our lives are, subscribe to the Patreon.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, just like I said before, just guys being dudes, dudes being guys. What I mean anyway, thank you all for listening. Stay tuned, definitely check out our interviews with um Dennis Rogajuk and um Matt, uh, Matt Kirkgaard. Um, because it, it, it sort of sets up what we talked about today with Ecuador, they give really, really good context and really good um, like background to everything that was going on. Um, definitely a lot of fun to do and check out their, their work. They do a lot of really good work out there, um, in the world, um, for our causes. But um, with that said, we'll catch you guys next time. And hasta la Victoria, peace, peace, later, y'all. Thank you.